Hello. Thank you for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in his gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. Hey, good morning. How's everyone doing? Good. I love, I'm so thankful Julie shared that this morning. We were able to come up and just pray for these children. And we just want to continually be um, a people who are aware and available to what Jesus is doing in our city and our area. So um, good morning. My name is Joey. I have the gift of serving Downtown Hope as lead pastor with an incredible team, um, as you see, uh, serving the body week in and week out. And I'm really happy to be here. This morning, we're continuing our series called Outpouring. And uh, in our series, we're walking through the book of Acts. Uh, For some of you who've been walking with Jesus for many years, you're familiar. This is a book in the Bible. Uh, For some of you, you're here for the first time or friends brought you and you're like learning about this Jesus and about his message for the very first time. Uh, The book of Acts is the story that unfolds after uh, after Jesus has died, resurrected and ascended. Uh, What happens with the first followers of Jesus? And it's a really uh, dynamic and exciting narrative. And uh, week by week, uh, just as you're getting into the mix here and for those who are part of the body, we have a wonderful discipleship resource called The Daily. And each day, Monday through Friday, we're reading a portion of the book of Acts. And uh, it's just a way to, we realized a few years ago that actually a lot of people who profess the name of Jesus would claim to follow Jesus Uh, don't actually have a regular rhythm of opening up his word. And so we said we wanted to encourage and equip the body to do that. Um, So you're going to be reading a section of scripture, and then on Sunday we come to focus on a portion of that um, or that section uh, together. So we're both kind of diving into uh, the trees during the week, and then here on Sundays we're uh, kind of at the forest level, and we're doing this over many years, just working through the whole council of scripture. Um, This morning, uh, we are in Acts chapter 13. So if you could open with me there or on your smartphone or whatever you have, uh, keep it open and and we're going to, I'm just going to read the first three verses, which is just the, uh, and then we're going to take the next several minutes to walk through it, kind of zoom out, zoom in, um, and, and walk through it together. Sound good? You with me? All right. I may ask you some questions. So like we, you know, this is kind of a dynamic environment. So Make sure you're reading along with me. I don't want to catch you sleeping here. No. (laughs) All right. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And this is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful that it comes down to us over centuries, um, prompted by the Holy Spirit, written down, um, inspiring generations as uh, your word, as we sit under it as your authority. And we're asking that as we read it, the same Holy Spirit that this passage talks about would 
activate our own hearts here and our minds and our imaginations. And as we read this, you would translate it for us, Lord. You would illuminate truth and you would help us to understand uh, how you want it to go live in our lives. And so we just give you this time. Um, I pray that the things that uh, I speak that are from you would be remembered and the things that are not would be long forgotten and that you would continue to build and grow and strengthen um, your church, your people here, uh, not only in this local body of downtown Hope, but the churches across our city, across our area this morning, Lord. Uh, we're asking for, um, for a deeper sense of your presence and growth in you. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, I think probably all of us feel like life is full. <laughs> Anybody feel that way? Life is full. Uh, for, for me and Katie, life is full. We have four children, different schools, sports. Our family has a thousand things going on. I know you have a thousand things going on as well. And it's hard to keep track of the schedule day to day. Anybody with me here? Like, and so you're constantly having conversations. And in fact, some mornings I just asked Katie about the schedule for the day and she just looks at me and says, I'm tired. Do we have to talk about the schedule today? I'm like, we probably should talk about it. Otherwise, it's going to create a lot of conflict later on in the day if we don't figure out what we're doing. But in the midst of everything that's going on, there's this question that she asks me almost every day in some shape or form. Uh, it comes out in the beginning of the day, in the middle of the day, at the end of the day. Here's the question. It starts like this. Are you available? Are you available, dot, dot, dot? Are you available to pick the kids up after school? Are you available to grab a bag of wood pellets on the way home from the pellet stove? Are you available to grab a bottle of carpet cleaner because our puppy, yet again, uh, did his thing on the carpet? Are you available to walk the dogs when you get home? Are you available to call your parents and coordinate the kids and X, Y, Z? Anybody with me here? Are you available? Are you available? And life is full for all of us, and sometimes in the midst of the thousands of small things we're doing, we can miss and easily forget the one grand thing that God is doing in the world. He's doing something in the world, and what God is doing in the world is he has unleashed a cosmic restoration project where he is making everything new. And he inaugurated this restoration project through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. That's Colossians 1 and Revelation 21. That's the story we find ourselves in. That's where the story begins, not with us, but with what God is doing in the world. And this is, this is the good news or the gospel that is on every single page of Scripture. And we know that this good news of this cosmic renewal of the world uh, is that we have been separated from relationship with God under the effects of sin. Our world is struggling with that. We don't have to look far to see and experience the pain and the effects of sin. I mean, just last night, we see the effects of sin playing out in real time in real people's lives. And we all experience that in small ways and big ways. And the question is, and the question that this passage gets at this morning is, how does the news of God's cosmic restoration project get out to the world? Like, what, what, is, what is God's plan for this incredible news to get out to the people that you are in relationship with, the people in the neighborhoods and the communities that we find ourselves our workplaces? How does the world hear of this precious news? And in the wake of Jesus' death and resurrection, 
the, ama- the, most, <laughs> the most unexpected thing happens. He calls a group of completely imperfect people together. He fills them with the very spirit. This is the church, the church's people. And he says to them, Matthew 28, you all are the ones who are going to be sent into the world to announce this news of God's grand restoration project. If I were Jesus, I don't know if I would pick me. (laughs) I don't know if I would pick you. (laughs) And yet, this is God's design that we find, again, through the whole of the New Testament. And we find a microcosm of it in this passage in Acts 13, these first three verses, and actually all of chapter 13 and all of chapter 14. What we find is this group of disciples who are radically available to Jesus and the call in their lives. And that's a little bit of the question behind this passage that Jesus is asking these people. Are you available? It's probably the question that we ought to be asking ourselves out of this passage, one of the questions this morning. Are you available? Are we available? And Acts 13 and 14 gives us a pattern, what we might say is a pattern of what it means to be available, to live radically available to Jesus. Okay, so that's what we're going to look at. What does it mean for us to be available to Jesus, to join and participate with him in his global restoration project in the world? Now, let me just give us a little background, high level, what got us to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit, this is our series, the Holy Spirit pours out on these disciples. And they go all out into Jerusalem, and they start to announce the arrival of this kingdom or this new creation in the world. In Acts chapter 7, a few weeks ago, we talked about it. Stephen uh, was martyred, so persecution hits these people. The, these Jesus followers are stirring up trouble in Jerusalem, and they get scattered out and about. In the midst of this, this highly religious murderer himself, a man named Saul, a Pharisee named Saul, actually gets knocked down on the road, blinded, and he he accepts and receives the new life that Jesus offers him. He gets ushered into this new creation, and his whole world changes, and he actually becomes one of the strongest proponents of the gospel in the world, in the known world. And and you know this story. This is Saul. His Greek name is Paul. Uh, Jacob did a great job a couple weeks ago teaching us through that. Narrative shifts in Acts chapter 10. David did a wonderful job last week if you didn't get a chance to listen to it. What do we talk about? Cornelius and Peter. And so there's this buzzing question around the first followers of Jesus in Jerusalem. This gospel, this good news of God's restoration plan for the world, is this something that's just for people who are Jewish? Or is this something that's actually indeed for the entire world, for every single human being on the planet? And this is a big controversy in this early moment. I mean, it's a very fragile moment. And the Spirit of God gives Peter this vision and, and, and sees that this Gentile group or this group that are not Jewish receive the gospel. They receive the news. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're ushered into the new life in Christ. And then what happens here, that brings us to Acts 13 here. And now the floodgates start to open. And it starts to get a little bit crazy. Here we are in Antioch, okay? Um, And the Spirit of God calls this small band of disciples, as we just read, to go out. And this is what 
uh, historically we might call Paul and his team's first missionary journey. They're emissaries that go out to the world. They're in sort of the, the bottom part of Turkey, right north of Syria. They go out to the island of Cyprus. They go up into Turkey, a little bit further, modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor at the time. They come back to Antioch, where they started, and to give an update, that's sort of the, the cycle of what Acts 13 and 14 is about, as you've been reading along with us. And along the way, we find they are radically available to Jesus. We go, they are doing a few things that we just want to look at together. So they go from Cyprus to Berga. Uh, in chapter 14, they go to Iconium and then Lystra. Um, there's people who are healed along the way. There's the gospel is being proclaimed along the way. Uh, they're suffering persecution along the way. Paul is literally stoned. They think he, they drag him out of the city. They think he's dead. He gets back up. He goes back into the city to proclaim Jesus more. I mean, this is the kind of thing that was happening in the lives of these first disciples, these first disciples. So what are the patterns of availability? You may want to write these down. We're just going to kind of go through them here at a high level. In verse 1, we find one of the first pieces of being available to Jesus is that you can't alone be available to Jesus. You have to be part of a community and a team. Verse 1, there were in the church at Antioch, and I love that they don't say in the church building at Antioch. In the, ch the church is described in the New Testament as people. People are the church. People happen to gather in buildings. We're doing that this morning. But foundationally, the, the essence of the church is people. And here they are at the church, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. And then we find this list of people. Some of them we know about, Barnabas and, and, uh, and Paul, we know a little bit about. But we have Simeon, we have Lucius, we have Menean. These are people around the world. They're not just here. They were not just from, uh, from uh, Jerusalem. Okay, This is a diverse group. Uh, it's likely that uh, Simeon, who is called Niger, is probably from Africa. Um, the word there, language, refers to somebody of darker complexion. Uh, Lucius of Cyrene, that's probably North Africa as well. Some people actually think, there's no historical evidence for this, but this may be Luke Lucius saying, this is actually my authorship on this book. Had you ever thought about Luke as a North African? We're not 100% sure if he was, but it's very likely that he could have been where they were located there and what's happening there. We have Menean, who's a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch. So this was somebody in the Greek here. It's somebody who was a, a longtime friend of Herod. So it, it, this is a person of influence. They've grown up. So you have a diverse team of people here. And this is where our availability starts. It's really hard to be available to Jesus on your own. I mean, you hear, I hear people say all the time, you know, I just have a personal relationship with Jesus, but I don't know about the whole church thing. And I get it because, you know, church communities are painful, right? It's messy. But there's actually no room for that in the New Testament. Jesus says to be in me, to be walking with me, means to be walking with my people and with my people in a community. And that is where our availability begins. Secondly, so this part of being available to Jesus is living with others in community, being part of a team, not in isolation. Secondly, verse 2, what are the patterns of availability? Here we find it in verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. They're listening. They're not doing so many things that they don't have time to listen they're not so involved with activity that they don't have time to hear. 
part of me being available to my wife during the week is actually taking time to listen to her. Sometimes when she's asking me directly to do things, but sometimes it's just hearing in the threads and the tones of her voice, what are the real needs that she has or what are the real things that I can help her with or be part of with her. So we're in community. That's part of being available. Secondly, we're a listening community. We're a people who hear Jesus. Now, modern 21st century culture, being still and listening is not a high value, is it? But maybe that's something. And, and as we're going through here, there may be one or two things that you need to write down and you know, put into practice this week. That may be one of them. Put yourself in a posture or a place where you're listening to the Holy Spirit, where you're quieting your heart, where you're being still. I don't know what that looks like for you. It might be a hike. It might be a walk. It might be a coffee early in the morning. It might be late at night after everybody goes to sleep. I don't know what that is for you. But are you practicing listening to Jesus? And not just alone, but are you listening to Jesus in community together? One of the things I loved on Friday nights, we had our second Friday leaders gathering here. All the leaders across Downtown Hope come together. And we just spent time in song and prayer. And there was times there of just waiting and listening. So we want to hear from Jesus. Third, verse 3. Sorry, part of verse 2. What does the Holy Spirit say? Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So part of our availability is hearing from Jesus, but it's hearing from Jesus specific to the things that he wants us to be about. Because he doesn't just want you to sit in a prayer closet all day. Absolutely, that's part of it, is sitting at his feet and listening. But there is no doubt Jesus, because he is doing this bigger thing in the world, he's called us to participate and join him in that. And so what is the work? What is the work? The the word here in Greek in verse 3 is to send them off for the work sent to do. And this flows into chapter 13 and 14 as they go. They are speaking of Jesus. There is no doubt. They're not just going from place to place to place and just sort of showing up and embodying the gospel. They're actually proclaiming the gospel with their words. They are speaking of Jesus, and they're thinking about creative and thoughtful ways and discerning ways to do that in each place they find themselves. And as we go further through the book of Acts, every context is different, and every group of people have to hear the gospel in a different way. The message never changes, but the approach and how we speak of the gospel changes often. Okay, I was, uh, I was being encouraged in this by a friend the other day, and, and, and then the next day I was walking here on West Street, and uh, I was walking with a friend, uh, my friend uh, D, and then another guy comes up, and uh, he offers me drugs. He's like, he's like, hey, man, do you want to get high? And I, like, the Spirit of God that moment was like, I was like, actually, I have something way better for you to get high on. Like, I've got the best high in the world. Do you want to hear about him? His name is Jesus. And, and he, got, he got upset. Like, I mean, that was a total disruption to his business in a way. Like, wait, you've got a different product? Yeah. And, do you, and I'm trying to sell him on it now, you know? And, and, and then he started saying, hey, what's up with your friend? Like, and it got a little dicey for a moment there, but we parted ways. But the point is, wherever you are, Wherever you find yourself, are you willing to speak of Jesus? 
Are you willing to translate in whatever pain somebody's experiencing, wherever they are in life, are you willing to speak and point to Jesus? And not in some, we have so many bad examples of this, so many trite, annoying ways that people do that. And maybe that was a little bit of me on the street. I don't know. But, but, but think about how do, you, how do you speak of Jesus? Because as this little team goes from place to place, they are speaking of Jesus. Chapter 13, verse 5. When they arrived at Silmaeus, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues to the Jews. Chapter 13, verse 16. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, he said, and then he goes into this, he tells the story of God's promise of the Messiah through the Old Testament. Uh, chapter 13, verse 14 in Perga, they proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue. Chapter 14, verse 7, and there they continued to preach the gospel. We are a people who are called to speak of Jesus in the world. In fact, we're called to speak his name with boldness and courage. But we're called to speak of Jesus and share the gospel with our words. We're also called to live out of the power of Jesus. And one of the things that marked this little team's life as they went, and this is part of our availability is speaking of Jesus, but it's also to live out of the power of Jesus. Where they're going, they are praying boldly for miracles to happen. They're seeing people, a crippled man in Lystra is healed. And not just in these two passages, but all as the book of Acts unfolds, the disciples of Jesus are radically available to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the people in their lives. And I just wonder, is that what marks our life at work, at play, in the neighborhood? Do we see the needs? Are we aware of the problems? Are we willing to take time to go meet those needs without second thought? Are we available in that kind of a way where our lives could be disrupted? I mean, this little group's life was radically disrupted. I, I don't get the sense from Acts chapter 13, 1 through 3. I know it's not in the text here, but I don't get the sense that they like, you know, were like spending months and months planning this out. I think they were worshiping and praying. And in the, in the Greek text, it's like that word set apart is like now. It's time to go. Let's go. And are we available in that way to Jesus? If my wife calls me in agency in the middle of the day, guess what? I'm on it. I'm going. Are we that available to our king? Because he, again, is doing something in the world. Are we available to be part of that? And then lastly, they're willing, their availability is they are willing to be spent for Jesus. They're willing to experience persecution. They're willing for their lives to be made difficult because of Jesus. Jesus makes our lives difficult. <laughs> That's not a bad thing. It's actually a beautiful thing. Blessing pours out in our lives for Jesus. We are found to be forgiven and loved and free, and there's nothing that can take that from us. But part of the cost of that freedom and that joy and that life is that sometimes we get called to do things and called into things that are high risk. And again, chapter 14, uh, verse 19, as they're on this missionary journey, Paul gets stoned, they drag him out of the city. And then he gets up and he goes back into the city. And then he goes on. And as we're going to see in the next several chapters, as they go into Thessalonica, the same pattern seems to happen. They show up to a city. They announce Jesus. A number of people are enamored and they come into the new life in Christ. And a number of people are just pissed off at them. They are so livid that they want to take their lives. 
Does that mark our lives as followers of Jesus? Does that mark my life? Because we say in the church, let's go on a missions trip. There is absolutely nothing wrong with going on international missions trips. I go on them. I get them. Short-term trips, they are, the Lord uses them. But sometimes we forget that the world comes to our door every single day. And maybe to say it even differently, every day we are sent into the world. Every single day, every single moment of every day, we are just, we want to live with this posture of, Jesus, I'm available. But we have absolutely reduced our life in Christ to well, I attend the Bible study on Wednesday and I go to church on Sunday. And I kind of just do whatever I'm going to do for the rest of the week. And we have domesticated our faith. We have put what is to be wild and alive into a container. And part of the picture that unfolds in Acts 13 and 14 through the rest of this book is that life in Christ filled with the Spirit is anything but that. I mean, get ready for a ride when Jesus gets into your life and starts to disrupt things. It is a painful but glorious thing. He has us trip every day. In fact, he's dropped us into the mission called the people and the places we find ourselves among. And a missionary is just simply someone who is sent. It's in the Greek here. Sent, it's where we get the word apostle from, sent by the Holy Spirit to do this work, sent before them, to be radically available to him. And it's amazing to think that today, this day, tomorrow, each new day, the God of the universe has a design to send you to someone in need, to love, to encourage, and to speak of Jesus. I mean, have you thought about that recently? You are not just here to take up a seat and to consume church. We are caught up into a much bigger story of what God is unfolding in the world. But here's the thing. Most of us don't live with this kind of availability to God, do we? I mean, I know I certainly don't. Why? Life is busy. Life is full. Maybe some of us are afraid. That's a real thing. Some of us just practically, like, how would I even do that, Joey? What does that even, I don't even know what you're, I don't even know what that would look like tomorrow morning or at the Super Bowl this evening. There's something else at the beginning of this passage that I just want to close with that we have to pay attention to. And if you don't get anything from this morning, get this. Verse 2 of chapter 13. while they were worshiping the Lord. Now, this word in Greek, worshiping, is a throwback to the Old Testament. And it's the language that describes what the priests were doing in the temple. Isn't that interesting? And just on a total side note, um, I think it's an amazing application of what Jesus taught about how we become the temple of God. 1 Corinthians 3.16, and we become living stones, 1 Peter 2.5. Here in real time, these first disciples got it, and they're there 
worshiping, they're, they're practicing together as a body the priestly duty that would happen in the temple. They're inhabiting a temple kind of space in this local congregation. Now, let me ask you this question. What is so special about the temple in the Old Testament? What does the temple hold? The very presence of God. The temple is where the very presence of God dwelt. I want to make the argument this morning, and I want us to really consider this. Our availability to Jesus is directly linked to us being in his presence. My availability to my wife is directly linked to my relationship with her. It is. You can't separate those things out. Last week, my son had a chance to play uh, a game at the Capital One Arena, ice hockey game. It's a pretty cool opportunity, right, before the Caps game. So we go down there, and they play the game, and the team gets slaughtered. <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was, it was rough. And so you can just see them after the game. They are just despondent, and they're just, you know, they don't even want to shake hands. I know it's funny. <laughs> It's not really funny, but it's kind of funny. But they, they don't even want to shake hands with the other team. And then something happens that I observed. All of a sudden, every kid on that team that just lost, I mean, like, they were dragging, skating. They skated as fast as they could to the bench. Like, they were down by one of the nets, and they just, like, took off. Like, took off as fast as they could. There was nothing stopping them. And I look down there, and I think, I think Alex Ovechkin is on the bench. The greatest hockey player in the world was right there on their bench. And these, these peewee hockey players got sight of that, and they took off. And they, like, went for it. I mean, it was like, I mean, they swarmed the bench. I mean, they were, like, falling over the bench just to get there. It was the most energy. It was way more energy than they had in the game. <laughs> and I had spent some time thinking about it. I'm like, what compelled the movement? What compelled the action? What compelled the energy? And it was the presence of this amazing hockey player. How much more... For us as followers of Christ, to be in the presence of God, when we start to really see his heart for the world, when we start to see his love poured out, when we start to see him sending his son into the world to die in love, there's nothing that we want more than to be in his presence. And the further and the deeper we get into his presence, how much more compelled are we to join him, to be available to him? to be sent into the world. Let's pray. Lord, these passages, these middle passages of Acts are really challenging for us to access and understand and think about how they translate to our life. And yet here we find a group of disciples in your presence worshiping as priests did in the Old Testament there in the presence of the community. Jesus, as you said, where two or three are gathered, you are there with them, the Son. 
The Holy Spirit is speaking to them to be sent. The Father is present. And it is out of your presence that the team, these disciples get a vision to go. And oh, how they go. And oh, how you empower them. And it's our desire in my prayer, our prayer this morning for each of my brothers and sisters in this room, that wherever we find ourselves, you would help us to have ears to hear and eyes to see how you are leading us. And we would be compelled by your very presence to go into the world that you so love, that you are redeeming and restoring back to yourself in Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name, amen. Okay.